So glad that you're here, especially if you're brand new with us this morning. We are uh, in a bit of a series right now. It's kind of a two-part series. This is part two of the part one that we started last week. And we're starting a brand new thing next week um, in conjunction with the five o'clock service, which we're excited about. Um, the five o'clock service is something that we actually started as an afternoon or as a nighttime on Monday night. And then as our church grew and transformed, we switched to Sundays because that's what you do in the church world. You have church service on Sundays. And so we have had the five o'clock service and we don't do it during the summertime. Time, um, but we do do it during the fall and spring, I guess is the best way to say that. And it's just one of the most um, fun services. It's kind of like if anybody was here over the, uh, the summertime and uh, perhaps you took classes or when you used to be in school, you took classes and there was a summertime service and it was more relaxed, high energy and a lot of fun, but a little bit more relaxed. Um, that is the five o'clock service for us. In fact, let me tell you a secret. I don't even tuck my shirt in at the five o'clock service. All right. So we're just getting crazy in the church world. Um, But next week, we would love to have you there. In fact, next week, one of the things that we're doing to help launch it is we are having, after the 5 o'clock service, we're going to have a big uh, food truck or a food truck. I don't know how big it is, but we're going to have a food truck outside so we can all get to hang out and spend some time together after the 5 o'clock service. I don't know what kind of food truck it is, so don't get too excited, but it's going to be a food truck. Hopefully, it'll be one of those, you know, taco trucks that that serves questionable meat but tastes fantastic. So either way, we would love to see you next week. If not at this service of the 915 and the 5 o'clock service, because that's going to be a wonderful time. So that being said, um, we are going to talk this morning, uh, but before we do, we need to announce or talk about something that happened um, last night, and you know, I know many of you are watching, um, but we love Jesus and we also love football, and DeAndre Francois broke, hurt his knee, so we don't know what's wrong with it. Um, we know that there's pain and suffering in the world, and Jesus, we pray that you would heal. You are the ultimate physician. Uh, amen. And um, some of you thought, man, that's silly, but that might have been the realest thing that happened this morning, okay? So... We pray for our team uh, and just special teams as a whole. But that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. So, but we're glad that you're here in spite of many of you who were up like me late last night. Now, the reason that we started on this two-part series is real simple because we wanted to answer a question that started and really helped to launch our church, which was simply this. Why in the world, when we started in 2011, when we incorporated in 2011, or we felt the call to start a church that really launched in 2012, why in the world would we start a church in Tallahassee, Florida, which is the buckle of the Bible Belt. There are plenty of churches. In fact, for those of you, again, who are new to town, you may be coming in for the first time or or coming back for the first time, you know this. There are churches everywhere. There are churches on every corner, and there are a lot of wonderful churches. There are a lot of churches that teach the Bible well, do music well, do missions well. So why in the world would we start a church in Tallahassee, Florida, in the buckle of the Bible Belt? Now, let me just have some transparency. This is kind of a little bit of what we talked about last week. This wasn't something that we thought, okay, this is going to be a cool question we need to answer. This was when I felt God call me personally to start the church here, my very first question to God. Because I had felt called at some point in life to start a church, at some point in life to be a church planner. But why in the world, God, would you call in Tallahassee, Florida? I thought, man, again, Someplace cool, I'm going to go to South Africa and plant a church, you know, and the apartheid Nelson Mandela, and I'm going to use it as an illustration, and thousands of people are going to come to know Jesus, you know, or let me go up to like Canada, where it's super cold, although I don't like cold, a lot of us think like, man, the worst place God could send me would be like, what if God called me to go to Africa and I had to do it, I'm like, man, that sounds like fun because it's warm there, I do not want to go to Canada, God, please don't call me to go to Michigan, Maine, good grief, the summer would be fun, but the other 10 months would be awful, you know, so God, but somewhere where churches don't exist, 
or the church as a whole does not have a lot of voice and presence in the community. And so that was my first prayer. Why in the world would we start a church in Tallahassee, Florida, of all the places that you could start a church? And in recap of what a little bit to understand what we're going to talk about this week, to go back to last week, is we felt a call specifically to do three things well. As we looked at the landscape of churches just in general, there are some churches that do this, but the minority of churches do this and do this well. Is that in every church, there are one of three primary component, components, one of three primary interests, or one of three primary thrusts and places of importance that we put as a church, organizational emphasis. For some of churches, or some of the churches that I have been a part of, and you have been a part of, and we have been a part of, there's an emphasis on outreach. It's we're growing, we're growing, we're growing, we're reaching, we're reaching, we're reaching. You tell people about Jesus, we're going to tell people about Jesus. This is the good news, this is the life-changing news that God has sent his one and only son into the world. That you and I, in and of ourselves, are incapable of gaining a right relationship with him because we're sinful and because he's holy. But he did not hold that against us. He sent his son to die for us. That anything that we have done can be forgiven on and was forgiven on the cross as we place our faith, hope, our trust in him. Outreach, outreach, outreach. And that's, that's absolutely a cornerstone or the cornerstone of the movement of God. And some have a focus on discipleship or depth is how they talk about it, how we talk about it in the church world. This is the church. We hadn't grown in forever. No new folks are showing up to the door. But we know Jesus. We know him well. We go to our Bible study. We go to our Sunday school. We go to our church thing. And we go to it. And everybody goes to it. And we know everybody who goes to it because the same people have been going to it for the last 20 years. But there is extraordinary depth that happens. There is relational depth that happens. Spiritual depth that happens in a lot of those churches. And most churches have one or the other. But what if a church existed that had both? That both had the reach, both preached the gospel, talked the good news, sent people out, and as you went out, you interfaced and encountered people who don't know Jesus, and you told them about Jesus. In fact, maybe you were just a light in their life, and you invested in them, not as a disingenuous way to say, hey, I have an ulterior motive, but just that you actually care about people. And perhaps as you care about people, they'll want to come hear about the God that you so desperately Love. And that was met with a relational dynamic that had depth to it that you could come and you could learn and you could grow. You could meet in groups. You could have people who know about you, who think about you, who pray for you. What if there was both? And what Paul talked about as we read Acts chapter 20 last week is Paul talked about this last thing as he's giving this charge to the Ephesian elders. And he's saying, I'm about to die and here's what I want you to know. He said, when I was among you, I took responsibility for myself and also for those people that were around me. He said, you ought to, you ought to not only look after yourself, but also look after the weak. In other words, you ought to look after the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the poor in your community. In many churches, now let's be clear, lots and lots and lots of churches 
have a missions committee, have a missions team, have a part of the church that they get this and they push this forward for the rest of the church. But what if this was central to the entire church? What if this was as much as gathering together, as worshiping God, as much as groups and doing that separate, you know, in in, in relational dynamic and intimacy and depth and discipleship? What if ministry to the marginalized was a part of the church? And what if we existed in the context that there was immediate physical, emotional, and spiritual need? And so as we started as a church, that was the call. The way that we phrase that is love God. Make disciples and be great neighbors. Love God, that we would love God, and we would introduce people into a loving relationship with Jesus. Disciples, we would grow in our depth with each other. We would grow in our depth in our relationship with Jesus. And then we would be great neighbors. We would do everything we can to love and to serve the community around us. Now, here's what I want to talk about today. How practically do we live that out, and where do we get it from? How practically do we live that out, and where do we get it from? This is going to be a very, very practical sermon, but I want to take you to the verses that as we look through this, we spent time in looking and seeing that these are the verses that were transformative for us. Because what happened as we started as a church, we got a group of about five or six people together and basically said, what would a church look like if all we had to look at was a New Testament? If we had no concept of church history, if we hadn't grown up in churches, or we hadn't grown up for some of us that didn't have the religious background, hearing about churches or knowing about churches, if we were on a desert island with no knowledge of church history and only had the New and the Old Testament, what would we do? How would we act? What would the church look like? And if we come up with the same thing, great. If we come up with something totally different, that's fine as well. But how would the church be different? In fact, let me just pause and say this. If you've never read the Bible that way, you should read the Bible that way. Prior knowledge, experience, whatever. All good and all can help be helpful towards inform and, ter- and transforming how you live and how you act. But just reading the Bible and say, what does the Bible say for itself without me projecting in? And so I want to take you to the verses that as we examined the New Testament were the things that we thought are the things or the pieces and components of our church that have to be the foundational and the guiding points for our church. Now, if you got your Bible, you can open up to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, uh, and we're going to talk, talk in verse 41 of chapter 2 about something that happened, and I'm going to recap and give you a little context. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. Now, pause. We're dropping in on the very tail end of what just happened. Jesus' ministry, death, resurrection, essentially ascension, or or eventually ascension back up into heaven. As he does it, he tells his believers, he tells his apostles, his core folk, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait, 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 wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit at Pentecost, or what we would now call Pentecost, what they probably said was like Tuesday, comes down and all of a sudden, All the different apostles start speaking all the different languages and preaching the gospel because in Jerusalem there was a melting pot. It was an eclectic group of people from different places and different spaces that spoke different languages. And so they all start speaking different languages, teaching people about the good news of Jesus. And it was kind of this really disruptive thing that happened in the middle of the city square. 
So much so that one of my favorite verses in the Bible happens where some guy hears the commotion that's happening, all these different languages, and he kind of yells out from the back, they're drunk. So that was kind of what happened. I'm telling you, interesting church history. I just think that, like, who wrote that down? You know, like, who thought, okay, for 2,000 years, we're going to talk about the guy who's screaming from the back row in class. Like, they're, they're hammered. So anyways, so he says that Peter stands up and starts preaching the gospel. Telling people basically that we are sinful, that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament, but we killed him, but he rose from the dead. In other words, he, yours, this is kind of his sermon. He's, he's dead, and you killed him because we're sinful, so say you're sorry. He's dead because we killed him, but he rose from the dead, now say you're sorry. And that was their core message. We're sinful. He died. We didn't kill him. They killed him. So throw away that blame. But he rose from the dead. Now say, you're sorry. Repent is how they would say that. And so as Peter stood up, gave this sermon, Tons of people responded and said, we believe, we believe, we believe. And as that happened, they said, Peter, so what do we do with all this? And this is how you know this was a very, very raw moment for them. Because Peter didn't even understand that you have to have application to a sermon at this point. They just stand up and said, that's fantastic. So what next? Peter says, repent and be baptized. And so in verse 41, we see that they all, you know, repented. They were baptized. The end of the verse, he says this. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, this is, if you're in here and you're a business owner, this is a problem. This is a good problem, but this is a problem nonetheless. On day one, you become a megachurch. Now, great you're reaching people. In fact, for us, let me just be honest. We have had to constantly be in a process of revamping systems and structure and communication. We are constantly tripping over ourselves and trying to do a better job because we know that we want to do a great job with everyone who comes here and calls us, calls herself, or calls downtown community church their home church. We want you to be able to grow in your relationship with Jesus. We want you to have opportunities to serve, to introduce you to a life of service to other people, and specifically and especially the marginalized. But that takes systems. And that takes structure, and that takes staff. That takes planning meeting after planning meeting, hour after hour of saying what's the most efficient and effective way to make that happen. They had none of that. At this point, they were what would be today bigger than 99.9% of churches in the world. This is like you launch your business day one, and by 9.30 in the morning, you are as big as one of the Fortune 500 companies. And so what do you do with that? And what we have in the next couple of verses is what they did, having no church history because church was just beginning. This was the first church. All they had were what Jesus taught and how they understood it in a lot of the Old Testament. So this is what happens to the early church. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now this, this was not that they devoted themselves to just reading the scriptures. This was legitimately the apostles were around and they would listen to them teach because they knew that there was great power, there was transformative power, and they would hear the apostles teach. 
and the fellowship to breaking of bread and the prayers. So this is, this is essentially what happened. What do we do? Massive church, mega church day one. They said, in light of what we heard Jesus talk about, in light of what we heard Jesus teach, these are the most important things. We need to gather together to hear the teaching of God's word. We need to gather together corporately. In fact, they're going to go in a couple verses here and explain how each of these things worked out functionally. They said, man, we need to gather together that there's power, there's transformation that happens when we hear, when we sit, when we listen to God's word being taught. Now, I'm not an apostle. I ain't that good. So I just teach what the apostles taught. Makes it a lot easier on me. But probably here's what most of us have experienced in the room. That probably part of your faith, probably part of one of the, I would would say this, one of the catalysts to your faith growing is hearing biblical teaching. Isn't that true? You heard a lot of pastors teach and all of a sudden you went to camp and you heard one pastor teach in a way that you understood it. You went to a church and you'd been to a lot of churches or you've heard of churches and you never really went to church. But all of a sudden, you heard some pastor talk because somebody invited you to a thing or a place or an outreach. And for the first time, this ancient couple thousand year old document made sense. And somehow, it even seemed relevant and applicable and understandable for the first time. And then what they did, with the importance of that, of the biblical teaching from the apostles. They said, and we're going to gather together in fellowship. In other words, we're going to gather together in community, spend time with one another. In that, we are going to break bread. Some people will talk about that just meant them eating together. Some people will talk about that meant them taking the communion together. So we do both. And prayer. Now, These two ideas are so extraordinarily important because many of us, in terms of our faith, grow from hearing biblical teaching, fresh, relevant, helpful, Christ-centered biblical teaching. And that can be transformational, motivational, and inspirational. But here's what we also know. That lasts till about 12.30 when you leave the parking lot and somebody cuts you off, right? That leaves, you know, oh my gosh, I love Jesus and I'm just going to pray for patience and God, you just transform my heart, transform my life, amen. And this jerk cut me off, you know, I can't believe, and this Alabama fan, I can't believe what they said, you know, and if you're an Alabama fan here, we love you, but you should go back to your home state because we don't invite you here to church. Just kidding, kind of. We'll pray afterwards. Pray for my soul, pray for my heart, a little bit better. So, you know, Hear this transformational, hear this inspirational, hear this motivational, it lasts for a little bit. But here's, here, let me tell you, here's what we have noticed. Sustained life change, sustained life change, continual transformation to become more and more like Jesus doesn't exist as we sit in rows and listen to someone talk, whether it's me or whether you're from a different city in a different place, in a different space, and you hear somebody else talk every week, or you're shopping around churches and you think, man, that guy's kind of a weirdo, he's not like Alabama fans, roll tide, I'm going to City Church next week, or I'm going to Wildwood, hey, we love you, we love those churches, we think you should go to those churches, but let me just tell you, as long as we sit in rows, we'll feel inspiration, and there will be a sense of growth. 
But consistent life change, consistent transformation, consistent Christ-centered life change happens as we gather in small groups of community. So we just thought, as we were reading these passages, as important as gathering together is, equally important is gathering in small groups of community. Now what's great is he teases this out in the next couple of verses. Because those are wonderful in principle. But he says, let me show you and teach you and tell you how this happened. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. Now, here's what's fascinating. As they went to the temple together, as they gathered corporately, and then as they went to homes and ate together and gathered in small pockets of community, as they, decided, as they started to corporately and communally live life together, to pray together, to eat together, to spend time together, to learn together, to listen together, an interesting thing happens or happened to them. Something that they didn't say, okay, this is the thing, this was an offspring of the thing was that they all of a sudden sprang a heart of service and generosity. That as they gathered together in the temple, as they gathered together in the courts, and as they gathered together in the homes, all of a sudden, as someone had need, someone else would see it and say, you know what, I have something extra, let me help Let me share, let me give to you so that you don't have as much need because I have a little bit extra right now. As they met together and they cared about each other, generosity sprang up. In fact, there's two things. In their generosity, they served one another because that was a way for them to serve. Now, you know this. And in fact, you have probably already done this, especially if you're a parent. Because if you're a parent and you've got kids, you know that you have had times where you went with less simply because of the fact that your kids needed something. They wanted something. And it might not be like, okay, my kid wants a new pair of shoes. I've got a little two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, and and she's the sweetest little girl in the history of sweet little girls. Just pause and say that. I would show you a picture of her, but let me just be honest. She is cute as can be, and you would not hear another word I say. You would just be thinking about how cute she is. So now, from time to time, (laughs) she wants to get some food, and we have a golden retriever as well, and, you know, it's not uncommon um, for our golden retriever to have a snack when sweet Ava um, puts her banana down or puts her graham cracker down, okay? So the other morning this happened, you know, she was not really feeling that good, and I gave her a graham cracker, and she didn't want it, and I had myself this little nice little Jimmy Dean, you know, turkey sausage, because, you know, whatever, Um, but... I had this nice little breakfast sandwich, and, you know, she had put her thing down, and the dog ate it, and she wasn't feeling good, and, and she loves cheesy bread, and I had some little cheese on top of the little croissant thing, and, and so she looks at it, and she goes, 
more please, Dad. <laughs> now, when that happens, as a dad, I'm not like, nope, nope. Because you mismanaged yours. You shouldn't put yours down, Ava. So you're going to starve now. Let me just tell you, you know, I love you. I care about you. I'm going to pray for you. In fact, I'm going to pray that God shows you how to manage your banana better. You know? No. I had a croissant. And I had extra bread. And I could probably go without the carbs anyway. So I just said, oh, yeah, sure. Here's, here's where, why. Because I love you. Because I care about her. And here's what was fascinating. As the early church gathered together in pockets of community, they actually cared. So they actually shared. They actually cared. And that caring about one another drove this sense of generosity. Drove this way that they were able to tangibly and physically help and serve one another. Now, this is so important because in the church, we can act as autonomous people disconnected from one another. But let me tell you, one of the things that we see happen over and over in groups as people gather corporately and as people gather in small groups of community, you know what happens? They actually care about each other and they are more generous and serve both each other and the church as a whole. Because they care, so they share. Now, the idea behind this is not at all or in any way, shape, or form, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to say this, and if you give more, I'm going to get paid more. In fact, many of you know this about me. I am an intentional bivocational pastor. I could probably at this point live, you know, the church could pay me my entire salary. They pay me enough to basically make themselves not feel bad about not paying me very much. And that's not like an admonishment. I choose that. We own a meat company. My family owns a meat company that I run. In fact, if you ever see me in a Walmart, there's a good chance that I am stocking a shelf at Walmart. I do that every Monday morning. In fact, next, you know, Monday, this Monday, I'll probably be at the Walmart in Crawfordville on the Walmart on Tennessee Street. So come holler at me at about 9 o'clock in the morning if you want to, okay? Actually, it's holiday tomorrow, so Tuesday. Anyway. Irrelevant. No sideways motives. No, let me just tell you. What happens is the church cared so the church shared. They shared their life and they serve one another. And as we were looking at this, we thought, man, the hallmarks of the church, the, the New Testament gives a lot of latitude between how this played out, is our church has to functionally prioritize four things. We have to have a corporate sense where we are learning and growing together because there is no doubt that that is a catalyst to our faith growing. We need to and have to spend time in groups, in small pockets of community, talking about the scriptures, talking about each other, praying for one another, sharing life, breaking bread. In fact, breaking bread, we do communion corporately as a church as a whole to remember Jesus' death on death on the cross. We do that about once a month. But when we have our community groups, we also prioritize eating together. We try to have it where once every two months the entire group just doesn't even meet and just goes and has dinner together because we think that eating together is important because that develops community which develops relationships. Our church sees the way that they gave and sees the way that they served one another in that. It says if we're only going to do four things, we have got to gather corporately. We have got to gather in community. We've got to give. and We've got to serve. And so we're committed to putting opportunities in front of you consistently to serve one another, to serve the community around us. Because they cared. No org chart, no systems, no policies, no procedures. 
Group, corporate. Community, personal. Share and serve. That is all we do as a church. We think that is so powerful. If there's anything else, if there's any other good ideas, if there's any thoughts, if there's anything outside of that, we do our best to not even consider doing it. Or take everything that we do and say, is this going to help us as we gather corporately to love God and to introduce people into a relationship with him, the people that know him, to send them out? Is this going to fuel our groups? Is this going to, in any way, shape, or form, help us to serve one another or to serve the community around us? And will this, in the sense that we care, in the same dynamic that we care, help us to share with one another? This is the entirety of our church. And here's why I say that. If you have been a DCCer for a long time, I just want to push this and press this with you before we go. So let me just kind of make this uncomfortable for all of us, and then we can all leave, and you can tell me how much you disagree with me via email. Ben at dcctally.com. Okay. If you've been a DCCer for a long time, and you are corporately worshiping, but not communally grouping, or if you're communally grouping and corporately worshiping, but you're not serving and you're not giving, Let me tell you the problem that that causes. You are a consumer and not a contributor. You are a consumer and not a contributor. And we love, if you're new here, let me tell you, we would love for you to come here. We would love for you to come here over and over and over and experience. We would love for you to come here over and over and, and you know, listen. We would love for you to come here and, and worship. We would love for you to get connected. Let me tell you, at some point, at some point, we are going to ask you to go from consumer to contributor. We, want, we don't want to pressure you. We don't want to overly pressure you or inappropriately pressure you. But we do want you to know, at some point, as you have given your life to Jesus, we want you to go from consumer to contributor. Because the kingdom of God is not pushed forward with spiritual consumers. They are push, it's pushed forward with spiritual contributors. The church, let me just say this, as a whole for too long has existed where the pastor did everything, the administrative staff did everything, and everybody just came and benefited. It's kind of like this. If we can choose one, or two, one of two ideas, that we either have a couple strong horses in the middle or in the front that are pulling all of the bandwagon behind us, or we can have a stable of horses just running straight for whatever it is that God has us for us, we're going to choose that. And for the too long, the church has existed to make the church, the leaders of the church have existed for too long to make the people of the church, which is the real ministry of the church, to simply be consumers and not be contributors. You are the church. You are the people. You will make a difference in our city. There is no one else like a leader who understands that, gets that, owns that, and takes that and runs. I don't mean church leader. I mean person who works a nine-to-five, goes home, and has family person who leads in their community, person who leads in their fraternity, person who leads in their sorority, person who leads in their job, person who leads in their home, who is a contributor and not simply a consumer. If you're in here, you're new to church, how much different would this be for you? Because perhaps all you've seen your entire life are church folk. Who consume, 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 consume. You know what happens eventually if all we do is consume? When hard times come, 
when something happens, we have been consuming so long that it feels like that spigot is turned off. And our faith has no faith to it. Our faith has no action to it. And our faith is a weak faith. But here's what happens when a church gets this. This is what I love about this model. As he says at the end of verse 42, or 47, I'm sorry. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, day by day, those who were being saved. In other words, and people saw this, and it was different. You know how we created the church in Tallahassee, Florida in 2017? We just thought, how powerful would it be if every single person who considered DCC, Downtown Community Church, their home church, saw themselves as a contributor and not a consumer? That you understood. You have been uniquely gifted and wired to make a difference for the kingdom of God. You've been uniquely gifted and wired to contribute, to push the ball forward for the kingdom of God. And you might contribute in a way that no one else can contribute. You might never contribute inside the walls of our church. It might be in the community. It might be in your job. I think what happens at your job on Monday morning is just as spiritual what happens here as what we, with what we talk about on Sunday morning. You might be an accountant and go be the best possible accountant for the kingdom of God. You might be a Chick-fil-A employee and we want to thank God for you because you are God's chosen food. But on top of that, man, you just say not, you know, you just say absolutely yes, sir. In fact, you don't even just say yes, sir. Um, what, what was the thing that Chick-fil-A people say? There you go. And you just, my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure. People, to death because you are doing it for the kingdom of God. Because you realize you have been gifted and wired to contribute to the kingdom of God. So please, let me just tell you, let me say this, and I'll finish with this. If you are in here, you're church shopping. Continue to church shop. I hope that wherever you land, you plant roots, that you are a contributor and not a consumer. If you're from another city, I pray that whatever city that you go back to, as you're just kind of passing through and you're just stopped in for this morning, I pray that you become a contributor and not a consumer because the kingdom of God needs you and you have a gift, you have a passion, you have a wiring that is unique to you, and you need to contribute. The kingdom of God needs you. The last thing the church or the kingdom of God needs is a couple leaders who try to do it on their own. We all have places and space that we are called to, and we can make such a tremendous difference. And it starts with us, for us, corporately, communally, serving and giving corporately communally serving and giving that is what we're going to talk about in the next steps dinner that is what we're going to give you opportunities in fact here's the next step dinner. we'll give you a preview of it we're just going to give you all the opportunities that we have all the groups that we have all the all the opportunities to serve that we have inside of the church outside of the church community partnerships that we have we just want to give all of them to you at the same time and say here we want you to get connected with the mission and the vision of our church with how that works out functionally for us so if you are in here and you are not or you're not new, you've been here for a while. I'll end with this, for real end with this. How are you doing in those four? Are you a contributor or are you a consumer? Are you serving? Are you giving? Are you in community? Small groups of community. Because if you're not, then perhaps you need to. Perhaps you need to make the jump from contributor or from consumer 
to contributor. Because Jesus so loved the world that when he saw it, he didn't hold our sins against us. He contributed and gave his entire life. And everything that we do is in response to that. We're contributors because he contributed. He gave his life. And we are motivated and driven by that. So my prayer is that every single person in this room at some point, as you place your faith, your hope, and your trust in Jesus, that you would be a contributor. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would unleash the power that is collected together in this room. You would, you would unleash the gifting that's in this room. You would unleash the unique personalities, the unique wirings. God, you would, you, you would unleash the, those of us that are in here and they have an a entrepreneurial spirit. They have a caring spirit. They have a loving spirit. They have a hospitality spirit. They have a gifting. They have a wiring. And God, you have given them a place. You have given them a platform to contribute to your kingdom. Because, God, you contributed. You gave us your one and only son to die for us so that we could have a right standing, so that we could have a relationship with you, so that we could be forgiven of all of our debts, all of our insufficiencies. And, Jesus, I pray that you would unleash a wave on our city of people who are contributing to your kingdom as we gather corporately, as we gather in small groups of community, as we serve and as we give, we love one another and are generous with one another. God, I pray that you would change us, you would change our city, you would change our church through the spiritual contributors in this room. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.